0: Thank you, Ellen, for sharing that um, that story of God's love in your dad's life, being reflected in your dad's life. And uh, I know a lot of people here know Ted and Rosalie. I, I met them when they first came. And uh, was he a sergeant or a warrant? He was a warrant. He was a warrant officer. And he was... He, uh he had just come out of the Army, and he scared a lot of people. <laughs> He'd come across real gruff and, you know, Army-like. and uh, But he wanted to serve. I remember how much he wanted to serve. And so I was working with the Sunrisers at the time, and he came in. And within just a short time, I, I'd say I trained him, but that's, you know, maybe too much. Uh, he He participated. He worked with me. And finally took over, and for many many years worked with the Sunrisers, and served them in marvelous ways. Uh, working with them, helping helping them in, in so many ways, and so uh, just watch his his life develop in Christ was uh, wonderful. I know I don't have time for the story, but I got to tell a story about your mom too. Uh, back in those days, I drove a 1971 Valiant. <laughs> it was old then. <laughs> And uh, it was golden. We called it the golden goose. Um, it laid no golden eggs. Uh, so um, one one day um, I had to go to, I went to China for a couple of weeks. Mission work there. And one of the members here was afraid for Julie to ride, to drive the Valiant because it would stall as you're just driving along. It would stall. And so he, he gave us his car for her to drive and he drove my Valiant. When I came back, he had been hit by a drunk. And the passenger side was all caved in. uh the door could still open, so you know no no big loss um, and so we drove around uh with a caved in side and one day I'm in the parking lot, and a car was in front of me. I couldn't pull forward, and Rosalie is backing out in a brand new car. she had a brand new car, and she's backing into me. she can't see me, and so I hit the horn. And there's no horn. And there was no, it was a bad car. I mean, it didn't have a horn. It was stall on you. And she pulled right into the, into that caved in area. And, um, and I thought, oh, her poor brand new car. Ted's going to be upset. And so I jump out and she pulls forward and, uh, there wasn't a scratch on her car. Not a scratch. And so I thought, well, it's time for fun. And so she, she jumps, she comes out of the car all nervous and everything. And I said, Rosalie, look what you did to my car. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Rosalie, it's been that way for months. It's okay. Uh, Someone actually stuck a bandaid on that part of the car. Stayed there for years. (laughs) but They're wonderful. You have wonderful parents there. And just to see them grow in the Lord uh, was, uh, has been good. Uh, late last year, I began reading and I shared this on a video a few weeks ago. I began reading and studying, uh, the book of revelation, the first three chapters, particularly, uh, where it talks about the seven churches of Asia. And as I was reading one evening, Julia walks through and I said, man, I would love to go to these places before I presented the lesson. And she said, well, why don't you? And that started me, uh, looking into the possibility of that, uh, uh, at that time, uh, you, an American couldn't get a visa into Turkey. Visa, uh, Turkey and and um, America were squabbling over something, and so they weren't giving visas to each other. But then it opened up, and and I uh, made arrangements. And a couple of weeks ago, I flew over to uh, Turkey and rented a car and drove to the seven cities of Asia. And it was it was a great uh, it was a great experience. I was by myself. Uh, That wasn't the great experience, but just being, well, by myself, that wasn't the great experience. I didn't mind that. Uh, Going to these different places uh, in a country I'd never been to before, didn't speak any of their language. uh, But it was an amazing experience, and I plan on sharing some of that as we go through this series that I'm calling The Lampstand at Central. And the reason I name it, I call it that, is because in verse 12 of chapter 1, of Revelation, he talks, he says, uh, right on the scroll, he's to the seven churches of Asia. He names them. And then he says, he turned and I saw seven golden lampstands. And so the very first thing that John sees is seven golden lampstands. And then he gives us the interpretation of that, of that vision of that symbol In verse uh, 20 of the same chapter, where he says the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And I believe that each of these churches, each of these seven churches has something to teach us. It it has some, there's encouragement in each of these churches. There's correction that is there. And as we read through these, as we study these uh, different churches... And we explore them. We're going to see uh, a message to us in each one of them, in each one of the seven churches. I was tempted to go straight to chapter two. I mean, I, 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 the, first, the first church uh, mentioned there is the church of Ephesus. And as I was looking through some um, maps this past week and I re- read a couple of travel magazines of uh, uh, articles on uh, Ephesus. Uh, I was back there. I was back in that same place. And the neatest thing about Ephesus is one of the roads I walked on, uh, the marble road, uh, that was the same road that Paul w- walked on. That's the same one that Luke and John and Timothy. They, their feet were on that same road. And as I went there, it's, it's the connection... And it wasn't, it, there wasn't a, a, a spiritual buzz or anything like that, but just the knowledge that these men walked these same roads and the things that they must have gone through, as we'll, as we'll see later on, uh, really spoke uh, to, to my heart and to my mind. So I was tempted to start today and talk about the church at, uh, at Ephesus, but the chapter one is there for a purpose. And as I read through chapter 1 and thought about that, if we don't look at chapter 1, we're going to miss an important point. We're going to, uh, not only important points, but we will, I think, draw an incorrect emphasis from chapters 2 and 3 where it talks about the churches if we don't lay the foundation in chapter 1. And so during the next few weeks as we go through these uh, appropriate texts, uh, there will be some things I'll share with you on my trip. I might even share some of the uh, the pictures, the videos, I haven't decided yet. Uh, but we'll do that as we come to uh, the, the different appropriate texts. I want to talk about the symbol, uh, symbolic writing of Revelation. Any of you who have read Revelation knows that it's a different book. It's very symbolic. And so... We, as we look at this, I see that people usually go to one or two extremes as they uh, come to the Book of Revelation. The first is that they're so confused by the symbolic meanings that they avoid reading it. They avoid studying it, and I think many of you can relate to that. You've read it. You're like, man, I just don't know what this this is all about. It's a beast and and seas and crowns and all these different things, and and I just don't know what it's all about, and so we just avoid reading it. And not that it's just difficult, because it is difficult to read, but it's so foreign to us that it's almost impossible for some of us to understand. Uh, the language is filled. All languages are filled with idioms and symbols. We, as we sang today. I don't know how much you realized you were singing many of the songs you sang in symbols. You sang about a lion. When the lion comes, uh, well, I can't remember the words, but when the lion comes, we sang that song. How many of you experienced a lion this week? How many of you have ever seen a lion in your life outside of a zoo? You know, and yet we sang it, and we all knew we weren't talking about a literal lion. That was a symbol we were singing in symbols, And so it happens to us. The number 13... Means to you, nothing maybe, but for, uh, in our society, is unlucky, right? And yet in Italy, it's a lucky number. They use the, the, the term uh, to do 13, which means to hit the jackpot, uh, which is also a symbolic thing too. Hit a jackpot, well, you know, all right? So we, we use that all the time. Uh, and we do this so much that we, we don't even think about it. Because we're used to the symbols of our language, but we're not used to the symbols of this language. Here's a Philly a, example. How about this? He was such a whiz at the hoop, hoops that when he took the shot, he was high fiving even before he switched to the net. All that's filled with symbols, right? And maybe some of it's a little old. Do you say whiz anymore? What's the. No. John, I know. Man, that's so 70s. <laughs> All right. But you can see that if you know anything about basketball and you can even figure it out, can't you? You know, you can even figure it out, even though that's kind of dated. What do you say instead of whiz today? Uh, someone's a whiz. Uh, no one knows. Well, good. I was, I'm trying, so you can't even come up with a symbolic uh, word. But, you know, you know, when someone's a really good player, you're he's whatever. He, every society has that. Every every uh, age group nothing but net or, you know, all these stuff. All right. You know, you, you, you'll say these things. And yet think about that 2000 years from now, if we're not, and we're probably not playing basketball anymore. If someone saw that sentence, they'd go, what in the world is he talking about? Wizards talking about wizards and what kind of hoops are he he talking about? And you know, is it fishing nets, you know, and so you can read into a lot of things that aren't there. And that's my point As we come to the Book of Revelation, it meant something to the people then, and a lot of them knew exactly what he was talking about. The second extreme is people get so enraptured with Revelation that the, they emphasize an end-time message, and they read into it bizarre and strange interpretations, and these interpretations will change with the headlines of the day. At one time, the beast or the Antichrist is the, whoever the current political evil leader is. Uh, It has been said to be popes and kings and U.S. presidents and Hitler and Saddam Hussein and on and on. These people say it's it's this and they'll tell, you know, they'll uh, warn you about the coming uh, apocalypse that's uh, happening. When the year 2000 came, we were living in Fiji and there was a group 98, 99 that really started proclaiming the end of the world in the year 2000. They would have. All these crusades that had 2,000 on it and things that were going to happen. Uh, they took numbers and, and uh, I talked to several people. They were so excited. They showed the numbers and they just, it's so logical. You add this and this and this and then it's 2,000, the Lord's going to come again. And uh, one man that I know, he, he, uh, he bought, he took a loan out for a large house in a nice area. And he had no intention of making any payment. Because the Lord was going to come. <laughs> I mean, he, he literally did that. And he lived and de- delayed his payments on his house until the year 2000 came and went. And he was evicted and foreclosed in his house. But he was so certain. Now, that's faith, by the way. That's faith based in, in not fact. But he was so certain the Lord was going to come that he was just going to welcome him in his nice house when he, when he came back. So my approach as we look at this letter, as we will over the next few weeks, is like any other letter of the New Testament. This was written to real people in real places. And that, that came to me even more as I walked those streets. It's a real, real people were there, real places. It had a particular message to them in their day. And it has a particular application to us today. So we're going to look at what it meant to them. We're going to look at what it means to us, just as we would any book in the New Testament. And because it was real to real people uh, and and things that were happening there were will give us insight to how we can apply this to us today. There's a a couple of keys that will help us. Number one, if we understand what they were going through during that time, it will help us understand this book. Now, I'm not saying you have to know history to understand the Bible. I'm just saying it will help. All right. You can, and I'll show you this in a moment, you can read Revelation and know nothing about the people and the history and you can get the message of Revelation. But it will help us to know a little bit about that. And we're not going to have great history lessons, but we're going to look a little bit into into what was going on in their day and time in order to understand, help us understand this book. The second thing I think is even more important, as you know, the. Previous 65 books of the Bible, you will see echoes of it in Revelation. As you go through the book of Revelation, you'll say, oh, that reminds me of, and you'll think of a passage in Ephesians. Oh, that reminds me of, and there's a passage in Daniel. And you'll see that over and over as, as, you, as you get to know uh, Genesis through Jude well, you will see that over and over, the themes coming back over and over In the book of Revelation. So we'll be going back into the scriptures uh, many times to to look at that. But the main message, I think anyone here who can read and who can think. As you read and think through the book of as you read the book of Revelation, if you just step kind of stand back and not let all the visions and the symbols distract you, you can get the main message. And here it is. I'll give it to you. God is in control. Even when it doesn't look that way. And God, or good, will be victorious. If you read the book of Revelation, that's the message. You see, we live in a world that lots of things are, are utter chaos. Things get completely out of control. And, and the world, some, I mean, sometimes um, in our society we just feel like things are going to fall apart. Uh, it, uh, whether whether it's a war or a political mess or something's going on. And it just it, it frightens us. We, we look at the world and we just think, well, is America going to stand or are we going to, you know, is it all, everything going to fall apart? Is our economy going to fall apart? You know, are we going to have another Great Depression on and on? We can see these things over and over in our lives. And the message that God gives us is I'm in control. Even when bad things are happening, when it doesn't look that way, when it looks like God isn't here, I'm here. I'm still in control. Take a deep breath. It's okay. And here's another message. Bad evil is not going to win. Even when it looks like it's going to win, evil is not going to win. God is going to be victorious. And anyone connected with God is going to be victorious also. And that's the thing we'll see many, many times. So Revelation is a letter to let us know that no matter what's happening in the society around us or your personal trials, sometimes things are going fine in society, but my life is falling apart. Uh, There's sickness, there's death, people I love are hurt. And the message is the same then, when things are not going well with you personally, God is still in control. And good will be victorious. God is directing all history toward a grand conclusion in which death and evil will be vanquished. Read verses 1 through 3 of chapter 1 with me. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testified to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Three quick points. Number one, this is the revelation of Jesus. That word revelation comes from a Greek word. And I was doing this, and Kai was looking over my shoulder yesterday, and he, he actually read this. I can't remember exactly how he said it. apocalypsis, And that's the word where we get our, our word apocalypse from. Right, the word apocalypse comes from this very word. And so Kai looked at me and said, so kind of, kind of like zombie apocalypse, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but, you know, we use that word apocalypse. That means a dramatic and drastic end to world events. When we use the word apocalypse, it's, it's a it's an ending. It's a it's a terrible uh, 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 battle and uh, bad things are happening. And so people have taken this book and they've Come to, they've written all types of scenarios surrounding this book, and it sounds like fantasy or science fiction many times, and, and it's confusing. But the word doesn't mean a, it, it's hiding something. It actually means it's unveiling, it means it's revealing something. And thus we have the word revelation, because it is, it is a revealing. Uh, because of the nature of the writings, these symbols we don't understand. Uh, the opposite, we've taken this word revelation or apocalypse to mean it's opposite, something that is hidden from us. This book isn't written to hide anything. It's written to reveal something to us. And let's look at what it's going to reveal. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That phrase of Jesus Christ can be Interpreted about Jesus or from Jesus. This is about the revelation about Jesus Christ or the revelation from Jesus Christ. If it if it means about Jesus Christ, it's going to be emphasizing his lordship. It's going to be emphasizing the central nature of who Jesus is in history. And if it means from Jesus, it's going to be talking about these things that are to take place soon And as I read through the letter, I see both. And I think that's really the meaning. I think it is about Jesus and it's from Jesus. Because if you take Jesus out of the book of Revelation, there's nothing there. He's central to the message of the letter. And yet what he says is happening, what happens in life, what's happening in these people's lives and our lives is also flooded throughout the letter. So you can't separate Jesus from his message. They're both here together. It is from Jesus and is about Jesus. And it's important for us to realize that because if, and I emphasize this over and over when I went through the, uh, through the letter of first John, but, but we need to continually refocus ourselves on the center and who is the center is Jesus. The center of this letter is not the church. The church, the body of God's people, Christ followers, what is happening to them is all throughout this letter. But it's not the center of the letter. It's not the focal point of the letter. And yet it's easy for us to look at it and say, well, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to us? And it's so easy to refocus on ourselves instead of focusing on what he says in the very beginning. This is a revelation about and from Jesus. So we've got to keep, we have to, we must keep our focus there. The church is important, but it's not centric. And as we read chapters two and three and we, we see the different churches, we're going, to have the, we're going to be tempted to, to focus in on the churches and not on Jesus. And so I'm going to keep calling us back. This is about Jesus, even though he's writing it to a church, it's, uh, it's about Jesus. History revolves around Christ, not the church. Because there's no church without Christ. The center of this message that is given to us is not on what we do or what we don't do. And yet the Bible, this, this letter is filled with things that we shouldn't be doing and things that we should do. And it's easy to fall into that trap that we will, as we read through this is, well, what should I do? What should, should I not do? And we lose our center focus again because the center of the message is Christ. It's important that we do the right things. It's important that we avoid sin. But that's not the center of this revelation. And it's only when we learn to operate out of our center, our focal point, which is Jesus, that we'll actually learn to do what is right. I believe that if you focus on doing right, you're going to eventually do wrong. (laughs) <laughs> I got that right. <laughs> but if we focus on Christ and who he is, it, it will be almost a natural thing to do the right thing. You see, sometimes we, we sit there and go, I just want to do right. I want to be right. And we focus on I'm just my will, my strength. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be, I'm going to be firm. And then we disappoint ourselves because we're not firm and we are weak and we mess up. And so that's why this message is about Jesus. And if we get our focus there, the church is going to be right and your life is going to be right. But you've got to focus on who Jesus is first. Then he t- talks about John. He talks about John, he says, he, who testified about everything he said. He talks about he being the witness. And it's interesting, it's, he says, God showed him, Jesus, to show his servants what must soon take place? So we see John being a witness. You know what's interesting? As you read through the Bible, and if you in even your own experience in life, God only works through humans on earth. Have you ever thought about that? Early in my ministry, when I first graduated from college and I started working with the church... When I came face to face with my own weaknesses and my own failures, I questioned God's use of me. Why would God use me? Because I'm ineffective. And why would God use you? Because you're ineffective too. So as I looked at myself and I looked at others, I saw weakness. And I read the scriptures about him, God making his power known through my weakness, and, but it still didn't make a lot of sense. And I still struggle with that. And I thought I had a far better idea. If the gospel message is so important that everyone needs to hear the gospel, the good news about Jesus who came to this earth, who died, who lived as a man who died and was resurrected. Why entrust that to us who do such a poor job? Why didn't he just send 30 foot angels walking through the cities? Telling the message of Jesus. Who wouldn't listen to that? I mean, think about it. I mean, this, is, this is what I, I really thought. I said, God, why, don't, why didn't you send angels to walk through the city? And they could have a flaming sword and they could glow. And if they said, repent, who wouldn't? <laughs> you know? And yet, in every instance, the only time that God uses angels is when he comes to tell a man what to do or a woman what to do. You notice that? For some reason, God in his wisdom, and we must rely on that wisdom, he chose not to use angels to spread his message, to be those witnesses, but humans. We may not understand it, but we must accept it. And here we find this is the message from God. Here, the book of Revelation is a message, is a revelation from God. And God did not just tell us he gave it to Jesus, who then and and that word Jesus is the human name of Jesus. So Jesus as a human has that message and he gave that to another man named John and he was to share it with us. And he says he showed his servants and that means to exhibit it. It means to visibly show it. And that's exactly what takes place here. As you read this letter, it's almost like a movie's going on or or you're in the middle of a dream. Have you ever tried to write down your dreams? You know, when you're, when you, when you dream something, it really makes sense until you try to explain it to someone. Have you ever done that? You know, you're like in the dream. just like, wow, this is great. And then you wake up and try and tell it. And it's like, oh, wow. And it's kind of that's the way this vision is. All these things are going. And I'm wondering if John was just writing furiously down and trying to get it all in. And it just comes out as almost, um, you know, a, a, a trying to tell a dream. It's, that's, that's how confusing it is to us sometimes. But that's exactly what happened. He showed it to them. He didn't tell it to him. He showed it to, to him. And so as he showed it, he said, and this is what is to soon take place. And then he further emphasizes that when he says he made it known. And that word means by signs, by symbols. And so he said he made it known through symbols and signs. But what I wanted us to look at is John testified. And this was his work. This was his job to testify, and that word then means the same thing it means today. It's a courtroom uh, word. It's a word we use in the law to testify on someone's behalf. He saw, he said. You go to court to testify, you saw something, and you're going to tell the court about it. At first we had eyewitnesses, people who recorded what they actually saw. John actually saw Jesus do some things. John actually saw this vision and he records it. He writes it down. And then other people took what other men and women said and they wrote it down. Luke, for instance, he said he carefully studied these things. He went around and he talked to people. Do you know, have you ever wondered why we have Mary's song in the book of Luke? I don't think it's in any other book, any other gospel. You know how, why I think we have that. It's because Luke went to Mary and said, tell me the story. Tell me what happened. And Mary told Luke and Luke wrote it down. And so she was an eyewitness. She said, and when this happened to me, this is what I sang. This is what I said. And Luke is writing it down. That's how we have these things. So these eyewitnesses recorded it. They wrote it down. And then they told other people about it who are witnesses too. these testifiers stood before the court. Many of these people were punished because of their testimony. They were condemned for what they spoke about. And this word testify comes from a word that the Greek word says uh, that is martyria, martyrio. And we get our word martyr from that. They testified when they when this first happened, they weren't martyrs, they were testifiers. And they testified so often and they died so often that that word became our English word martyr people who died for their testimony. Third, we're blessed. This is the only book that I know of and maybe some of you scholars can correct me that has a blessing attached to it directly. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it. Those who read and hear it are blessed. And yet, which is the one book we avoid more than any other? (laughs) Isn't that amazing? The one book that says, if you hear this word, if you read this word, you are going to be blessed. And we're saying, no, I don't understand this. I'm not going to read it. This is too much for me. I can't read it. And yet he says, you're going to be blessed. And the blessing isn't a, a warm feeling, even though it does mean to be happy, but it means to be happy in an Uh, in, 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 and I can't boy get all my vowels here, enviable position. In other words, look at someone looks at you and says, I wish I was like that person. I wish I was happy like that person. They look at you and they see your joy and they see your happiness. And it's not a happiness that happens. That just happens. It does it's not a happiness because you had a good night's sleep. And so you wake up happy. It's not a it's not a feeling that you, you have because you had a good steak last night or good steak is going to be a lunchtime today and you're you're going to be so happy because of a good thing happening. It's not that kind of happiness, but it's half this happiness is centered, guess where? In God. It's centered in God. The word means to make long. To make long. And it happens to us when God makes long his grace to us. When he enlarges his grace to us, that's where the happiness comes from. And when we read this book, we are, his grace will be enlarged in our lives. Two groups are blessed those who hear and those who read. In this society, there weren't very many people that could read, a very small percentage. But the one who picked up this book and read it for the first time, he was blessed. And he said, and the one who listens to that reading, is blessed, and that word "read" is an interesting word. It's a compound word. This was I just discovered. This It's a compound word. It means we put two words together to make one word, and the words are "anna," which means up, and "gnosko." How many of you recognize that word? Come on, surely someone. After we did it 40-something times in the book of First John, remembers that that was the word that we went over and over. You know it through your experience. These are things you know through experience. And so you put this together. It means read. It means we, uh, it was you knew it again and again and again. And that's how you know something again and again and again. You read it again and again and again. That's how, how that word came by. Up. Up and to know. Every time you read this book... You will be blessed. Let me give you a conclusion, three, conclu- three points of conclusion, and then a summary of what we're going to see in Revelation. Number one, any message not centered in Christ is a false message. You make the church centric. You make good deeds centric. You make avoiding sin centric. You make the world, your feelings, current events, human understanding, wisdom, anything the center of your life. And you're on the wide road that leads to destruction. Christ is the center. All the good things we, we mentioned should, ref, should be a result of the overflow of Christ in our life. How the church and how individuals live and act and why we don't sin and how we deal with our emotions and why we do good deeds must grow out of a Christ-centered life or it's worthless. You say, well, that's pretty strong. You go over to 1 Corinthians 13 and Paul backs me up there. He says, it doesn't matter what good you do. You're the best preacher in the world and you don't have love. It is zero. That's the word he uses, not a zero, nothing. Nothing. He says, you can do it, all the good deeds in the world. You can have great faith. And if it's not rooted in love, it's nothing. And what is love? God is love. 1 John four seventeen. And so I want to say all the good things that we're going we're gonna to look at says, that says, don't do this and do do this. That's not the center. The center is Christ. And when we're attached to the center, we'll learn what to do and what not to do. Second. We must be witnesses. We're not eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses were in those that day and time, but we are witnesses. We're witnesses of what God has done in our lives. Every Christian has a testimony to share. And that testimony is can be not how I came to the Lord, but how God is currently working in my life, how God is currently changing my life, how God is. Right now, in the midst of the people that I'm I'm with, how God works with me. And some of you have dramatic stories of how God is working your life, and some of us don't have those dramatic stories. We've just kind of lived a boring life. We we grew up. We we were we were raised by good parents. We went to church. We never got into the bad stuff of life. How boring! How blessed! (laughs) Really, that's a blessing. And that's a message that you can give because uh, Gary was talking about some of the students, uh, Tracy and others who have raised, who were converted here and then raised their children in the Lord. That's a blessing, and we're witnesses to that. We're witnesses that in Christ we don't have to go down certain roads. We don't have to experience sin. We don't have to go into depravity to uh, to appreciate the grace of God. We're witnesses. We're witnesses of how God has brought us together. This this group, this unlikely group, and motley crew, <laughs> have been brought together. Isn't that a witness to the world? You can share that with other people. You can talk to. You can uh, maybe the only thing you can say is just come and see. Just come and see. I I don't have good words, but I want you to come and I want you to see the patience of this group of people as they endure a 40 minute lesson. (laughs) I want you to watch them, how they love one another and how they work with one another. And when it doesn't matter if the building's hot or cold, they still put up with each other and help each other. We're witnesses and witnesses will make us martyrs. Perhaps not physically in this country, but we'll be social martyrs if you are a true witness of Jesus. And third, don't miss the blessing. You can miss the blessing of this book if you don't read it. So I want to encourage you, read it. At least read it once and see the blessing that you'll get. You'll miss the blessing if you don't listen to it. And I want to ask you not to focus on me. But focus on the message. Each week as we go through this, try to focus on the words. Try not to focus on the speaker. Try not to focus on uh, the limited ability. uh, The mess ups that the speaker goes through. Focus on the message. Try for 40 minutes to put the phone aside. And if you're using it to look up the passage, that's fine. But try for 40 minutes to listen to the message because this book says you'll be blessed. I'm not asking you to do it for me, I'm asking you to do it for a blessing to you. You won't be blessed if you cling to criticizing what's going on, if you cling to your phone, if you cling to the distraction of a neighbor. And I'm excluding those mothers with little children. <laughs> they have a special blessing of their own. <laughs> but don't miss the blessing. And last, let me tell you what I think we'll see in the book of Revelation. And I, I'm, at this point, I'm only planning on going through chapters one, two, and three. That should take us about a year. Anyway. The awesome majesty of a sovereign God. We're going to see the awesome majesty of a sovereign God. You'll be amazed You're going to be blown away by the revelation of who God is. The only problem is, is my limited ability of trying to explain it. But as you think about it, as you read it, you'll be blessed. You'll see the sovereign majesty of God. You'll see complete deliverance that is received through a sacrificed lamb. You'll see the utter fairness of God in that as he currently judges this world in small ways, it only precludes the ultimate justice When punishment will take place and all things will be set right forever. That's a promise. God said, I will make wrong right. I will fix this world. One day I'm going to come and it's going to be different. And the things that need to be punished will be punished. And I will be fair. I will be just. We'll see that God uses us. Weak, ineffective, shunned, persecuted. And even murdered to achieve his eternal purposes, which we will all enjoy. We'll see that the world is not worth living for, but Christ is worth dying for. We'll see that there's such a a divergence and disparity between the world's standards and values and God's reality that it can only be compared to the difference between life and death. He says, when you look at everything the world offers and it has a lot to offer and you have you you look at what God has to offer and you compare those two, one is death and one is life. We'll see that we'll see that no nation, no ethnicity, no individual is going to be excluded from the glorious plan of God unless they choose so. And that any suffering that we have on this earth. It's nothing compared to the glory that awaits us. It's a marvelous book. We're going to see a lot of strange things, but it's going to be, it's going to open up our minds. It's going to open up our hearts. As I walked through the streets of Izmir, which was once Smyrna, I came upon a school. It's walking down this wide road and big path. And the school was there, and it was a concrete uh, grounds. And out on this concrete playground, there were children playing games. And they're all, all between the ages of probably 9 and 11. And what, my, what caught my eye as I walked by was a little boy that reminded me of my grandson, 10-year-old grandson Hayden, who's in the corner picture there. Hayden doesn't look a lot like me. He has thick, dark hair. <laughs> he has, has olive color skin. His eyes are brown, just like that little boy did. And I stopped, and I looked for a moment through the iron grills of these kids playing. And I was just struck how they're just like us. They're just like American boys and girls. They're just like people from any country I've ever been to. Children in any other country. And I saw all the different personalities and was amused at their personalities in their play. Two boys were intent on getting the ball from one another and fighting one another, working hard to kick it from others. Some stood by just wanting the ball to come to them, not doing much, just standing there. Others were... Calling out, kick it to me, kick it to me. I'm sure that's what they said. They said, they said, something in the (laughs) other language. But I know what they were saying. I saw one little girl shyly. She was standing a little bit away from the others. Had a sweet smile on her face. Watching the others play. And a smaller one standing over the side. Just kind of like wanting to play, but not sure if they should be involved. And I thought, what do they know about Jesus? What opportunity will these children ever have to hear about Jesus? And as these sweet children grow into adulthood, will they receive the blessing of reading and hearing the word of God? And I don't know the full answer to that. I know whose hands that's in It's not on my shoulders, it's on God's shoulders. We are, as it says here, we're just the servants. And as we have opportunities, we can reach out. I prayed for those children at that time, pray for them now. God has enlarged his grace to us. That's one thing that I realize as I walk through the streets of these seven cities. He's enlarged his grace to us. He has blessed us in uncountable ways. We have opportunities, unlike many people in the world, to know God through Jesus, to receive one blessing after another. We're called to be witnesses to this. And so let us be witnesses so that these people can receive... What has been given to us. I don't know how God plans on doing that. Fortunately, I don't have to know how God plans on doing that. But I can trust in him and I can be the servant. I can be where I am, be the witness that I can be, testify as I need to testify right here in this city of Huntsville, Alabama. Our elders will come forward in a moment as we sing an invitation song. If you need to respond in any way. Talk to them about anything at all. Please come forward as we stand and as we sing.